If you will turn, please, to Ephesians. This is our continuing time in this epistle of Paul, this letter. We have been skirting around Calvinism, but today, here it is. It's interesting that people who are outside of our communion think of Calvinism as predestination. That's They think that's all we preach and hold to and are interested in. Um, Well, it is today because it's in the Bible. (laughs) But I think you see that, in, in my opinion, and I've held this for quite some time, the center of Reformed theology is the gospel. It's Christ. Uh, that's, that's the real center if you read our documents and uh, hear us for any length of time. This is, this is because this is what we have in Scripture is Christ. But here it is. Here we have a text in Ephesians 1 that mentions the word predestination, so we will talk about it. I will actually begin with verse 1, Ephesians 1.1, to give us a little context and go through verse 6. So here now the reading of God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It sends the reading of God's holy word. Well, this is the verse 5, which is where we're centering in moving into verse 6, is the third reason for blessing the Lord. We have been talking about this blessing in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then you get reasons for blessing the Lord in typically in this kind of uh, prayer and prayer. exclamation of praise to God, which is very frequent in the Bible. In fact, I saw it uh, earlier today in Samuel when David was encountering Abigail. He actually used this form, blessed be the Lord uh, who has prevented me from sin, basically, when Abigail uh, encountered him and preventing him from sin. So you see this form throughout the Bible. And then there's a reason why. And we've had two already. The first one is the most uh, remarkable and stunning, and that is, who has blessed us with every blessing of the Holy Spirit. So we're blessing him because he's blessed us um, and uh, lavished his uh, kindness on us in blessing through the spiritual blessing, which refers to the Holy Spirit. Then you have the second one is insofar as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This is what we looked at last week. He chose us. This is why we are blessing the Lord. He he has chosen us uh, in the beloved, in Christ. Here now, we have the third one, and really the last one, because everything else just kind of expands out on uh, God's lavish grace poured out upon us. Uh, 
so it, it, it's an elaboration, really, of all the reasons already given in the rest of the passage to verse 14. But here, he in verse 5 and 6, it's he, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. And that's the third reason for blessing the Lord. He predestined us for adoption as sons. And it's parallel to chose us. Now, this term predestined comes from a word destined. Uh, and that word uh, can mean different things in different contexts. It can mean a point. So it's used for appointing apostles, for example, appointing somebody to an office. Uh, Paul used a form of this uh, same uh, word actually uh, earlier when he said, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, that he has been appointed to this. This is in Romans, excuse me, uh, not, not in Ephesians, but in Romans 1. He talks about being uh, set apart is how it's translated. And it's the same verb as root. Uh, is destined. He has been designated. Uh, and that's the second meaning. So you have a point, and then you have determine. It's, it's, he determined something in, uh, when you're using it of yourself, it's of determining to do this. It's a plan. It's a fixed, uh, settled determination to do something. And that's how it's found in Acts 2, for example. Uh, God determining that Christ would uh, suffer at the hands of wicked men for the sake of uh, redeeming his people. It also is used, some people think, to mean really the same as choose in verse 4. So verse 4, even as he chose us, he predestined us. So it's really an equivalent of that, some people think. I'm I'm not sure that's a very uh, clear meaning of this, but I'm reporting to you that that's often... um, uh, brought up. Now, you have to be really careful with where words come from. So words often, you know, are picked up from certain other terms and you, you build them up and use the word uh, from that background. And you don't want to make a big deal out of that background for some of these words. And I use the term authorize. Because when we use authorize, we don't think of authors of books, for example. That's uh, not, you know, and that's where it comes from, author, authorize. We don't think of those two as linked together. But in this instance, uh, there is a kind of background to this term that might help us illuminate why it means something like determine. And that is, this comes from a word for the marker of a property. Uh, so a boundary marker. In the ancient world, it was quite typical to mark one's boundary with a stone, and then you'd have your name on it, and it would mark you know, the corners of your property. Uh, and this is the term for the boundary marker. So you can see how the idea of determining, you're, you're setting out the markers of something, you're, you're fixing it and determining the boundaries or uh, you know, edge of your property with this marker. And then you have this predestined, this prefix in, the, in predestined. Uh, so this, this means beforehand is a time reference. So he earlier determined. And this is picked up because you're really flowing right out of verse 4, uh, and it comes from in the, uh, before the foundation of the world. He has predetermined this 
before the foundation of the world. It's a time. When did, when did he determine this? Well, in God's time, which is forever, there's no time sequence to this uh, determination. It is something he has fixed in his purpose uh, from all eternity, we would say. Uh, and so, to us, it's predetermined. It is something that is far beyond, far previous to even creating the world. God has determined this. Uh, and that's, I think, the best meaning that we give it is determination. He has fixed this as something that he would bring to pass. And he has determined that this would be true. Now, for us who are coming into belief in Christ, looking at us from the vantage point of being hearers of Ephesians originally, when we hear this, we read this in Paul's day, we're new. This is all new because this isn't our heritage. People in Ephesus were not the same as people in Israel. They are Gentiles. And this actually comes out later in chapter 2 when he actually says, I want you to remember you were Gentiles. Not something he normally tells people, but he, he, he wants us to remember where we came from. Uh, when God acted in such a way to bring us into the company of his people, into eternal life. It's something that he has done for us and brought us in. Because there's, you know, in, in Paul's world, there are only two kinds of people. There's the Jew and then everybody else. That's us, you know, wherever we may come from in the world. We're, we're in his language, I love this one, Jews and Greeks. So we're all Greeks. And I, don't know, you know, I don't know where you came from, but you're now a Greek in the Bible's uh, terminology. You know? <laughs> you're thinking, wow, I don't know. But, but this is, how, this is a, a way to show us that uh, we have been brought in, but this is not something that God just had a passing fancy that crossed his mind one day and thought, I'm going to try this and see how it works. Maybe they will respond. <laughs> this is not how it works with God. He has predetermined this so that your faith now is set upon this bedrock of God's predetermination. Your faith that you are a member of Christ and belong to his people and know that you will be accepted by the Father is based on the fact that he determined that this would be so. He has fixed this in his counsel from all eternity. It's not some passing whim and it's not something you came up with. It's something that he has had settled on long before the foundation of the world. And when people talk about predestination like this, they make it sound very cold. They make it sound like God is just, you know, arbitrarily uh, doing this in a way that makes no sense at all because he's whimsical. Well, look at the qualification, though. Now, let me mention to you, it, some translations at the end of verse 4 include that phrase, in love, with 
things in verse 4. Either he chose us in love, or that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And the one is, he chose us out of his love, and the other is, we might be holy and blameless in our love. Now that last one is the least likely, because holy and blameless doesn't originate from us. It's not it's not a fruit of love. It's an act of Christ. It doesn't come from our love. It comes from Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. That's later in our chapter 1, actually, where he's going to say that. So we're anticipating where we're going to be going in the future. And then to, that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world in love is really very similar to what I think the ESV punctuation I gave, in love he predestined us. It's, it's, you know, these are very close uh, expressions of the same act of God. He chose us and predestined us, and both are characterized by love. But I do think it belongs with predestination. It's actually a, uh, an expression that is, um, it's an unusual word order. And the linguists have a name for that. When you put something in front, they call it fronting. Finally, a you know, linguist that make a nice uh, phrase that we can understand. So it's called fronting. Uh, and in, in my opinion, uh, analyzing this over the course of quite a while, I think this is a case of that. I think this is a, a very interesting case of that because when you look at verses 5 and 6, there, there are, there's really only one verb in the center of this. He predestined us. And then everything else is qualified by these phrases. So these phrases are, notice, in love, for adoption, to himself, as son, or not to read that, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us. So you have all these qualifications being built up, see? And he didn't want in love to get lost. See, if he'd put love later, it would sound sort of like this. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ in love according to the purpose of his will, you know, on and on. And you would kind of read it that way. You'd kind of pass over it. And he didn't want you to do that. When Paul's writing this, he wants you to, he puts love in front so that you would see it. He predestined us in love. He loves us, and his love shaped his action toward us. Now, we're going to see where that love comes from later, but this is, this is a very important point when you think about predestination. It is, he has determined that he would have you as his child in love because he loves you. Your father loves you and he has loved you from all eternity. It, it doesn't change at, at any time. He has always loved you and will always love you. It is an eternal love and he acted on that love in the sense that he made the determination, but that it had an effect in history when you were brought into his family. So we experience it in time, 
but it's an effect of the fact that he predestined us. And, and then he brings us into his family. And this is, this is, this, uh, this now gives our lives meaning. We now have the core meaning of our lives. First question and answer of the, high, of the Westminster Charter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I love that last part. You didn't expect Calvin to say that, did you? Enjoy him forever. You didn't think Calvinists enjoyed anything. We enjoy him forever. We live in joyful fellowship with our Father and enjoy him. That's, that's the Bible. So the Calvinists just say what the Bible teaches, you know. And this is, this is something that is shaped by the love of God poured out and his rich kindness toward us and the fact that he would have us as his own. Now, you have here um, this expression that I'm reading the ESV, English Standard Version. It says, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. And I, I think I've mentioned this to you on another occasion, but to remind you that adoption as sons uh, is capturing Paul's world. Not our world, but Paul's world. Because in our world, when you hear that, you think to yourself, well, what about us daughters? Um, and is he excluding women here? And the fact is, he's not. He's including women because in his day, and he, he's speaking to the congregation, men and women. You know that because later on he addresses them particularly. And he's saying, you have been adopted as a son, you women. Because in Paul's day, it was typical for a man to only adopt one son. Because the whole point is not for the benefit of this young man, but for the benefit of the family. You basically only adopt when you need somebody to take over the family in the next generation. That's the purpose of adoption in Paul's world. And I did, I elaborated on that at another time, and I'm happy to do that, but tonight I won't do that. But it's sort of like a billionaire businessman picking one person to take over the uh, business, you know, and you can only pick one, you know, to be the next head of that business. Um, and that's what we're talking about. Except that he chose us all, men and women, children, older people. It makes no difference. He chose us all in Christ. If you come to Christ, it's a result of this predetermination of God to have you in his family as his son to inherit. And that's Galatians 4. And if a son, an heir. I'm quoting now. If you're a son, then you inherit. And that's because in his world, sons inherit. So he's, he's proclaimed us all sons. You now are heirs and co-heirs with Christ of what he inherits. And what does Christ inherit? The new creation. That's, that's now Romans 8. This great hymn to Christ in his sharing out his inheritance with all of his brothers and sisters. That's what he does. He has given us a, a co-equal heir 
uh, inheritance, a portion in his great inheritance. Now, let me read to you from the Westminster Larger Catechism, and it's the question on adoption. I chose a larger one. Our shorter one has the same question, but of course the answer is shorter. Uh, and in this case, I, I chose this because it is a little uh, fuller, and it says some things that are important in this connection. And by the way, this is the Westminster is one of the few confessional documents that even brings up adoption. This is a something that's brought up multiple times, and part of it is this text we're looking at. Okay, what is adoption? Adoption is an act of the free grace of God in and for his only Son, Jesus Christ, whereby all those who are justified are received into the number of his children, have his name put upon them, the spirit of his Son given to them, are under his fatherly care and dispensations, admitted to all the liberties and privileges of the sons of God, made heirs of all the promises and fellow heirs with Christ in glory. So there's a lot of stuff in there. Dispensations, by the way, means administration, all the, all the administration. So that would include the sacraments. Those, are, those belong to us as part of our heritage. Uh, that's what they're talking about. So here, adoption... I think the most striking thing is in and for his only son. You are, <laughs> you are the booty of the son's uh, conquest. You, have, you are the treasure that he has captured with his victory on the cross. He won you. He has the right to you. His father sent him to buy you with this purchase of his blood. And so he, he, won you, he won the price of you from death. Now to be included in the family over which he is the natural son. We all are the adopted sons. And he alone is the natural son. The one born, begotten of the Father before all worlds. And he is the one who purchased us to be sons with him in this inheritance. So this is, what, this is what this predestination is all about. Here, he's adopted us into his family. And we aren't worthy to be corporate, corporate CEOs. It's not like he looked on us and said, oh boy, look at that person. So smart, so wise, so wonderful. Paul has a lot of words about that. Not many wise, not many well-born, not many, you know, where's the debater of this age? Where are all the people that really shine in, uh, in the world? And he says, well, not very many of us in the church are like that. It's very true. Uh, we can take comfort in that because God brings us in. And then he makes us special. He, he polishes us up, as it were. And he shows us how important we are to him. And, and then he promises us glory. Glory to shine as stars in the heavens in a new creation. That is our inheritance. And it's an infallible inheritance that God has predetermined from before the foundation of the world in love toward us because of his inexpressible love. And then he, uh, another thing in the confession, the catechism that I really liked was 
He put His name on us. Now that's actually the language from number 6. And that's that benediction of Aaron. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you. That ends by the Lord saying, and I will put My name on them and I will bless them. Uh, And this is why you are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. His name is being placed on you. So you now are a name bearer. That is who you are. You bear his name because that means he is with you. You are his name. But it also means this is your family name. You now have the name Christian. This is now our last name of every one of us because we have a new family. We have been brought in by adoption into this family. Paul's going to elaborate on that in chapter 3. So Ephesians 3, 14, and 15. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth receives its name. The whole family receives its name from God the Father. He, ha- he, he puts his name upon his people. Uh, and this is... This is uh, expressed in our catechism, and I think it's wonderful because that's what happens when you adopt somebody, right? You give them a name. You give them a new name. And we have a new name put on us. We have the name of, that God has selected for us. I could, I could read other places. There's a wonderful passage in Revelation where Jesus talks about this. You know, if you, the conqueror, I will, I will put my name, I will write my name on you, uh, basically. And it's in uh, indelible ink. Um, and all of this, brothers and sisters, I don't want to shortchange this, um, but I think, it's, I think it's so clear, but also important, so even though it's brief, at the end of verse 5, according to the purpose of his will. Those t- the word purpose and will are synonyms. They mean the same thing, really. So he piles it up. It was in accordance with the purpose of his will. God did this because he willed it in love. That's why he did it. So he asked why he did it. He willed to do this. It was his choice. Um, And this is why in Catechism Questions, it talks about God doing things of grace, and he acts this way of grace and of his will. It's because he's not compelled to do it by anything in us or anything outside of him. He's compelled by himself and his own love and kindness and compassion. And that's, that's what Paul is expressing here. This actually comes out a couple of other places in our uh, unfolding later, so I'll bring it up again. And then finally, to the praise of his glorious grace. This is, this is the outcome The outcome is what we do. Because notice how it opens with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. We just praised him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our praise of him. To the praise of his glorious grace. And this is is where Paul will take us in chapter 2. I won't read it now for time's sake. But if you want to read through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, you will, you will go on a journey. And it opens with a walk. And the walk is in transgressions and death. 
in which we walked. So you start a journey with a walk in the deep depths of despair and death and ruin. And then, right, right in the middle, it says, but God, because he's rich in mercy, his wealth poured out to us in grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This doesn't originate from you. And then, interestingly, it ends up with another walk. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should start walking in them. Now we have a new walk. We walk in the good works he's prepared for us as new creatures, people whose whole lives have been turned around to where our orientation is in this new creational life that he's given us so that we can walk in these good works that he's prepared for us. This is why we believe in good works. We believe in salvation by grace through faith alone. But we believe in the necessity of the fruit of good works that we walk in them. Because that's what we are created for. It has to demonstrate it. Because you know a tree by its fruit, and it just, it's a, um, we are impelled to do it. We are impelled to serve the Lord in gratitude and thanks because of all the goodness he's shown to us. We're not earning anything. We have our inheritance. We have our adoption. We're doing it because we have a new family. And we have new life that it bubbles up within us through the Holy Spirit that we might serve him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So brothers and sisters, you may get discouraged at times thinking, I don't serve the Lord enough. Well, tomorrow's a new day. And new opportunities may arise. But you just take one day at a time and you serve the Lord the best you can in the way that he opens up a way for you. And who knows, it might be a very humble way. It doesn't matter. It's the way he's given you. It really doesn't matter how you serve him except in love. So rejoice in the Lord with his predetermination of you in love. Let's pray. O oh Lord our God in heaven, you have given us so much in Christ Jesus. We serve you so little. And yet, O oh Lord, we want to serve you more, and we pray that you will open up ways that we might serve you, opportunities to uh, bring your word to people, to show a kindness, uh, to demonstrate the love of Christ to people inside and outside the church. And as we do so, O oh Lord, we give you all the glory. It doesn't come from us. Who are we? What have we brought to you that you don't have, O Lord? But you have brought everything to us, and you've filled our lives with the treasures of your love, and we bless your holy name. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every blessing in the Spirit in the high heavenlies in Christ Jesus for the praise of your glory, the glory of your grace, treasure upon treasure, lavished upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.